0: Listen up, get ready, I'm not going to take no more. There's a revolution, a revelation going on in my soul. Buckle up, get ready, we're not going to uh, say... Welcome all you citizens of the world, all you sisters and brothers, friends, family, and neighbors. From Chicago, I'm Michael James here with another edition of the Live from the Heartland show. This would be number 100 since the beginning of the pandemic. Um, we've been calling it Heartland at Home, anxious to get back in the WLUW studios. WLUW 887 is our home base. We also broadcast on CAN TV and it's on youtube.com slash Heartland Media slash videos. Okay. Um, for people who are new to the show, let me just say that we used to do this from the stage at the Heartland Cafe, which last Saturday, or last Sunday, actually, on May 1st, would have been 46 years since the Heartland uh, effort was begun by Katie Hogan, myself, and Diane Libman, aka Stormy Brown. And uh, after the Heartland was sold, we continued to do it from the stage at the Heartland and various other places in the building. And eventually, we moved it downtown. And unfortunately, the Heartland Cafe doesn't exist, but the spirit of the cafe does, and so does the spirit of this show. Okay, Uh, this would actually be the 73rd or 74th day, depending. We actually are recording on Friday the 6th for the week of May 7th, and I'm not quite sure. We got a little confused last week on what days and dates were, but uh, this would be about 73 or 74 days since Russia began its assault on Ukraine. And uh, the, you can't, re, Ukrainians have put up one hell of a fight. And uh, if you are following the news, things seem to be shifting where Putin may be trying to claim some kind of victory uh, in honor of when the Russians beat the Nazis back in the old days. Um, we'll see what, what happens. Uh, we have to continue to pay attention to this and continue to support Ukraine. All right. Um, this week, there was a lot of outrage over the leaked documents from the Supreme Court about their apparent decision to strike down Roe versus Wade. Uh, we're going to talk more about that with our first guest, the incomparable, the one, the only, Kelly Cassidy from the mighty 14th District here in Illinois, and the uh, She'll, I'm sure, shed a lot of light on what's going on and what might, uh, might, might come. Um, and you all should know that on Saturday, uh, after if you're listening to this on the radio, it would be after you've listened to us downtown in Chicago at the Federal Building. There will be a march. Um, on the attempted repeal of Roe versus Wade. Uh, it's a march uh, at the federal building to protect abortion access. So everybody should head down there after they've listened to the show or whatever else they're doing on the Saturday. Um, and uh, let me just say that at two o'clock, I believe is when it begins the, uh, uh, the Kentucky Derby, the 148th running of the Kentucky Derby will take place. And uh, it always reminds me of my good pal, now deceased, Jason Crawford, who used to take me to the racetrack. And I would, uh, I would give him a little shoulder rub, get him a drink, whatever, while he played with his papers. And uh, the last time I saw him was when I dropped off some money for him to get, gamble with for me on the horses during the Kentucky Derby. And unfortunately, I never heard back from him. And that's when I heard a few days later that he had passed away. But he helped to encourage my enthusiasm for horse racing. And back when I was a kid, my dad used to uh, produce the Hialeah races on NBC. So I love horses and I like horse racing. Uh, We got a little bit of uh, really bad news this week on the COVID. Um, Apparently, it's been underreported throughout the world. Uh, They were talking 5 million people had died. It's closer to 15 million people have passed. And uh, that's not the end of it. So the laxness around this is uh, is very apparent when you go out and you go into places. Uh, I was down in Florida, South Carolina, North Carolina, et cetera, not a lot of masks. There's more up here, but I can see a, a relaxing of it. Uh, so I got mine out as a little reminder to wear a mask when we're out and about, particularly when we're in places with other people. Uh, doing that will help us uh, protect not only ourselves, but our brothers and sisters, wherever you or they may be. Um, I'd like to do a little bit of a history lesson today, and I want to thank my good friend Mike Klonsky, who has a new blog out. I'm not sure the technical name of it. He was on the show a few weeks back, but in his blog, he cited a couple of events that happened uh, on May 4th, a few days ago, many years ago. The first Freedom Ride left from Washington, D.C., a group of 13 young people organized by the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee left Washington's Greyhound Bus Terminal bound for the segregated South. Their journey was peaceful at first, but the riders were met with racist violence on their way to New Orleans and eventually being forced to evacuate uh, from the bus in Jackson, Mississippi. I remember that when it happened and uh, younger people should take note of that. And on the same note, on May 4th in 1970, the Ohio National Guardsmen opened fire on students at Kent State University who were peacefully protesting the Vietnam War and the U.S. invasion of Cambodia. Cambodia. They killed four, wounded eight, and permanently paralyzed another. The killings at Kent State galvanized the movement and led to massive protests across the country and around the world. And eventually we did end that war in Vietnam. Okay, I'm gonna shift over to the weekly live from the Heartland Labor Report. Um, And uh, Amazon union leader in Staten Island, Chris Smalls met in the Senate for a hearing on Thursday. Uh, This past Thursday, the hearing examined whether Amazon should be exempt from federal contracts if they engage in anti-union behavior. Smalls got into a verbal spat with Republican Lindsey Graham and took the opportunity to remind this now very right-wing senator that you forgot that the people are the ones who make these companies operate. Thank you, Chris Smalls. And on a sadder note on the Amazon front, also in Staten Island, another facility did not vote for the union. Votes for the union at Starbucks continue, Starbucks continue around the country, and um, <clears throat> Starbucks tried to counter that with offering all non-union employees higher wages, just what the unionized Starbucks people are asking for. So I don't think that's legal and they're being challenged, but apparently um, owners of some of these companies will go to very uh, lengthy extremes to try to keep the people- from having to adjust in a better situation okay that's it for the labor report we'll have more next week uh here in chicago um if you're watching the news regularly and i know many of you who listen or watch this show do pay close attention to what's going on in the world um boeing uh that big airplane giant out of seattle which made its headquarters here in chicago have decided to leave here and move to arlington virginia Of the 300 jobs, I think a few will be left here. Um, Too bad on one front, but that's the way it goes. And um, let me see. Um, Also coming to Chicago is a new casino. Apparently, Bally won the, um, the bidding war, and we'll see if the city council approves it. Uh, They're going to have a temporary one next year at the old Masonic temple downtown. And then in four years, apparently there'll be a big new place where we can go and gamble away. Okay, Uh, closer to home right here in the neighborhood, here in Rogers Park in the 49th Ward. Uh, Many of you know the main stage, uh, a nice music venue that really never got going, um, but has perhaps one of the best sound systems built anywhere in the city. Um, They've announced that the main stage will reopen as the Rhapsody Theater, a 200 seat venue to set up uh, plans to be open in June. So if you like comedy, uh, that'll be a good place to go. And hopefully they'll book a few other shows in there because it is a hell of a sound system and it's a nice venue. That'll be it for the opening banner. Uh, you are listening to the live from the Heartland Show. You may be watching it, um, and um, one of my cohorts, the pr- producer engineer Emilio Davis, is picking a tune that relates to women, and we are going to listen to a little of that. And be right back with our first guest, our first guest Kelly Cassidy. Be right back. Stay tuned here on the left end of your dial. Uh, welcome back. You're listening to the Live from the Heartland show, or you may be watching it. Uh, we're here at ww 887 We're also on CAN-TV. And I'm Michael James. And I am really happy to bring on one of my very, very favorite public servants, Kelly Cassidy, state representative of the mighty 14th district in the great mm-hmm. state of Illinois. Good morning to you, Kelly.
1: Good morning, Michael. It's always fun to start my day with you.
0: Well, that's nice to hear. I went by your house yesterday, and it's, it's so exposed now that that giant tree oh from the storm. It's really bizarre. Ago. Yeah. But uh, I noticed you got more things growing, and I'm sure it won't be long you can hide out in your house with no one looking in your windows. It's Anyhow, kind of
1: amazing the difference that it made. Did you see I posted a historical photo from when the tree was first planted in front of my house, the one that's gone now? It's so wild. I
0: that's have to go change. check that out. Anyhow, uh, I had asked you to come on today that, uh, you know, one of our uh, fellow uh, live from the Heartland team, Tom Clark, had been bringing to my attention the question of uh, marijuana legalization and stuff in Illinois. And while we could talk about that, something else happened this week. And I think we're going to shift and talk about uh, women's right to choose at the Supreme Court and where we're at and where we're going. That OK with you?
1: It works for me. I've been doing it nonstop <laughs> since Monday night.
0: <laughs> Tell people a little bit about your involvement in getting uh, various laws through the state legislature that relate to this.
1: Well, I, you know, I, I like to say I was born on the front lines of this battle. Um, my, uh, I'm the youngest of seven kids. We lived in New Jersey. Um, my six siblings were all delivered at the same Catholic hospital. And with my pregnancy, my mom had a very dangerous situation going on. There was a tumor growing in her uterus with me and they needed to do a hysterectomy at the time of her, of my delivery. And the Catholic hospital in New Jersey said that they wouldn't do it. So she had to cross state lines and give birth to me in Philadelphia so that she could get the medical care she needed. So when I say I come by this honest, I really do. Um, My entire adult life has been working uh, to protect choice you know, from working as a clinic escort to, you know, 2019 being the lead sponsor of the Reproductive Health Act, which enshrined the principles of Roe in our, uh, our statutes and lots of other stuff in between.
0: Well, on uh, having uh, the Roe being enshrined in our law, uh, what about the attempts now by uh, various Republican legislatures around the country to not only outlaw abortion, but to go after women who go to other states to get an abortion. And they're also trying to ban and mess with the United States Postal Service on the delivery of mail uh, around the issue. Talk a little bit about that, Chell.
1: Absolutely. The, the the fervent misogyny of the uh, Republican Party threatens to blow up the entire principle of our nation. Um, and 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 that's mind boggling. Um, but what we have seen and, and really the reason that we introduced a suite of bills to protect reproductive freedom in Illinois from House Bill 40 to the RHA to the repeal of parental notice um, was in anticipation of this day and seeing the signals that, that other states were sending in terms of how just how draconian. And it, 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 it's like a, a race to the bottom for these guys. Um, and they're mostly guys, um, you know, so we wanted to ensure that we were aware of those threats and, and, and working towards them. So, you know, when we saw um, Texas pass their bounty hunter bill uh, that incentivizes neighbors to, to uh, turn each other in uh, for financial rewards, um, we knew that was just the tip of the iceberg. Now we've seen um, these efforts to criminalize not just seeking reproductive health care, but also um, gender-affirming care for trans youth. Um, the same playbook is being used to persecute these kids. Um, and so we still have some work to do here, right? I want to make sure that we are protecting our healthcare providers here in Illinois who are going to be providing services. Um, we're uniquely situated here. Um, and we are bordered by several states, you know, two that have trigger laws already. So when Roe falls, they will, they will um, automatically Criminalize abortion, um, two or three more with um, with uh, enjoined bans that that can be resurrected uh, with minimal effort, um, and then you know the promise of Indiana in implementing a ban. Um, they don't have one yet, but I think that that they're they're pretty certain to. So we're going to be a literal island um, uh, surrounded by states that that are that are um, persecuting. Uh, people for seeking reproductive health care. And, and so we want to make sure that, you know, we've got lots of healthcare care professionals that are dual licensed. You know, you, you have an Illinois license, but you also have, an, have a Missouri license. Th- fundamentally, what we've always done and all states have done um, is when someone has a, a an adverse action on their medical license or on their professional license generally in another state, it automatically impacts your license here. And in these instances, that shouldn't happen. So we've got a bill pending. We passed it through the House. It's pending in the Senate that would protect those healthcare providers um, from adverse actions from other states. There's more we can do. We need to make sure that, um, you know, that, that applies to patients as well. Um, making sure that, uh, that, that parents who are bringing their kids in for medical care aren't similarly penalized. And ultimately, what I would like to see us do is incentivize these folks to just come to Illinois and stay and become part of our happy family here. Um, you know, in, in particular for those those parents of trans youth um, who have to flee their home states. Uh, you know, this is a very welcoming place and and we're going to do everything in our power to facilitate those moves for you.
0: We are a great state. <laughs> um, what about the mail order uh, abortion pill? What's, uh, What's that like when, I don't know about the state legislatures being able to uh, mess with the United States Post Office. I mean, I know it's illegal to mail weed, uh, probably, but if it's legal, anyhow, what's your take on that?
1: I, again, I think it goes back to that fundamental disrespect for what it means to be, uh, our, for our system of government. Um, and, you know, I think it's, it's important to bring up medication abortion in this conversation because- you know, as much as this is a crisis and and we should be afraid, um, it's a little bit different than before because we do have options like um, medical abortion, medication abortion um, that will remain more accessible than than what we had in the past. Um, and, and so, you know, the 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 but that's everything that that is our every si- silver lining we can think of. They're going to try to find a way to piss on, um, and that's this is an example of it.
0: Um, so the decision from the Supreme Court, if it turns out to be the way that they are talking about it, um, and someone was talking, let me see, I'm not going to try to find it. Um, the, uh, the decision will come, I think, off of the, the Mississippi law that's uh, before the Supreme Court. And we're talking about Mississippi, the states that lynched people and beat people who tried to vote. Uh, and it's you know, really not, it has a lot of problems. Um, and um, But before that, that came up, we also have a, you know, 50 years of, of this evolving. We have George W. Bush appointing Alito to the Supreme Court who apparently wrote this decision. We have McConnell blocking Obama's nomination to the Supreme Court. And we have Trump who got three picks all right-wingers who apparently lied in the confirmation. lied
1: in order to get confirmed, yeah. yeah.
0: So talk to us a little bit of how we got to this place.
1: Well, I mean, you know, this is not something new. This is, these guys played the extremely long game. And by that, I mean my entire lifetime. Um, because, you know, immediately after Roe became the law of the land, there was a very thoughtfully designed effort to undermine it. So it started with restrictions that seemed reasonable and, and instilled some doubt into the validity of this right and helped to build momentum towards where we are today. Um, you know, they, they just kept going uh, while at the same time feeding cases into the Supreme Court pipeline to ensure that the right case was queued up at the right time when they, when they finally secured their majority on the court. Um, and, you know, this, this is not the end of that. Um, you know, I was reading today that, um, you know, the principal uh, uh, plaintiff in the, in the marriage equality decision is terrified. Um, you know, Alito speaks in the, the document about it not applying to other uh, principles of the right to privacy, um, but if you a close read, is actually a, an engraved invitation to bring a case to to challenge it because this decision doesn't isn't questioning those things, but this decision sets the precedent that will. Um, and so, you know, my entire life is is built upon the rights afforded us by the, the concept of a constitutional right to privacy. Um, I've described it as, you know, I I feel like my whole life, my family is, is, you know, at the top of a Jenga tower and I'm watching it crash in real time. You know, my marriage, my, my kid's relationship to their other mom, um, you know, my, my right to bodily autonomy, all of these things are, are hanging in the balance here.
0: Yeah. The president did raise that about, you know, what are the next steps that they're going to, what are they going to go after next? Um, but let, let me, uh, let's, I think, let's talk about the popular vote a little bit. I mean, we have a situation where two Republican presidents, the last two, lost the popular vote. That would be George W. Bush and uh, the, the last guy, Trump. Um, and <clears throat> I'm just, uh, where am I going with this question? But um, I, who appointed Thomas to the Supreme Court? Was that a Bush or? I believe it was a Bush. So all of the no, no votes are coming, uh, or all of the, the the ban abortion votes on the Supreme Court would be coming by people who were appointed by Republicans, and uh, yeah. four of them in the last few years, or five of them. Well, yeah. one was a block. Um, yeah. Well, wow, this is rough. So I, I'm watching uh, the TV, and there's a guy who is a Latino guy out of Texas, and he is From an anti abortion group. But he was very, he was pretty good about how it's not just about abortion, it's like taking care of people, you know, not only from the womb to the grave kind of thing. It seems to me that most of the anti abortion stuff going on in the country doesn't really address the needs of people after a child is born. Can you talk a little bit
1: about that? Absolutely. Uh, Pro life is a lie, period it is the greatest lie per- perpetrated against uh, against the American people uh, in, in recent memory because they, you're absolutely right um, you know for, for these folks uh, the vast majority of them could not be bothered to fund education or health care um, who you know, who vote against you know, they vote against anything that that would protect uh, life for the rest of, you know for, for the rest of people's lives and, and hell half of them, fully support the death penalty. I mean, I have respect for my colleagues who who have a, a consistent view on this. Um, you know, there are a handful of them who, you know, come at this from a, a deeply seated place of faith um, who are who also oppose the death penalty. But um, the vast majority of them would would be would be very keen on giving the death penalty to a woman who had who's had an abortion. You
0: know? uh, yeah. It's unbelievable. Uh, well, let me ask, is there any place for pro-choice Democrats uh, or, you no know, anti, what am I asking for, who are anti-abortion Democrats? You have, a, uh, you have one congressman, Cisnaros, in the 28th District in Texas, and he is the only Democrat in the House who opposed uh, the uh, pro-abortion. Women's Health Americans. Care Act, yeah. And uh, he's being challenged. Uh, his name is Henry Quaylar. And he's being challenged by Jessica Cisnaros. And I know there is also, there's a senator from Pennsylvania who is not good on abortion. I don't think a mansion is either. Um, mm-hmm. What's your take on, uh, I mean, we have a lot of people who are in the Democratic, under the Democratic tent, who, um, who you know, their religion doesn't, uh, you know, acknowledge the right to abortion. Uh, what's your sort of take on the place for these people and how, as a deft political strategist, we handle the contradictions in front of us.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I think that it's really, really easy to jump to that place of, you know, if you're a Democrat, you have to be pro-choice. Um, but I caution folks on that and, and point, you know, just across the aisle to our ever shrinking Republican caucus who has this litmus test. Um, you know, I, I, at this point in our, in our caucus, we certainly have Democrats who are not, um, you know, a hundred percent pro-choice, if you will. Um, and, and that probably includes some folks who, if they were honest about it, would, would prefer to vote to outlaw abortion, but feel like they've got to find some middle ground um, in order to, to maintain their positions. Um, you know, we used to have a, a handful of of Democrats who were were not um, pro-choice, uh, those seats we've lo- we've lost those seats anyway, and it wasn't over abortion. Um, and what I will say is, you know, thinking back on a couple of the the far southern Illinois guys, um, who uh, you know, sort of traditional, you know, labor pro labor labor is what brought them to the Democratic Party, basically. Um, but in so many cases, they were incredibly helpful to me in finding votes. You know, they, they, they may not have been a vote themselves, but they, they were um, they were good colleagues in that they could help with the strategy to get to yes. Um, and, and that's meaningful and valuable. Um, and so, you know, I don't want us to be the modern Republican Party. So we always have to find space. Um, that said, you know a great example was Lipinski and Newman. Um, you know, folks going after him wanted to elect a pro-choice person, and I think if a district can elect a pro-choice person, they should. Um, he was out of touch with his constituency. Um, a, a, pro cho- a pro-choice Democrat in far southern rural Illinois probably not so much yet. Um, it's also incredibly ironic as I think about this. You know, I, the number of my Republican colleagues who Privately, tell me that they're pro-choice and wish that they could vote yes on my bills, um, but they fear a primary so badly that they can't. Um, it, it's it our our system has some serious flaws that need fixing, and and that takes us to the maps and the fact that most of our districts are primary districts, not general districts.
0: Well, what about the Democrats switching from concern with the kind of national issue or the you know elections? And focusing more on state legislatures. I mean, we hear a lot about how the Republicans have really worked it. And we, uh, you know, we've elected presidents and senators, but sometimes we don't have the state legislatures. Um, You got a strategy on that one?
1: Well, I mean, (laughs) I got to say, I think it I don't think it starts low enough down the ballot. Um, You know, these these guys have have, you know, stolen our lunch money several times because. Again, they do the unsexy, uh, you know, maybe a little bit boring work of electing people to, you know, sanitary district boards and school boards and library councils and, and all of the things that are the building blocks of moving up to city council and state legislatures. Um, and, and, you know, we, we need to be better about that. We, we need a better bench. Um, and we have for a long time. Uh, but, but that's very much the case. It's, it's not unlike, you know, this, this Supreme court is the result of standing by while horrible justices were appointed to lower courts.
0: Yeah, we have to really figure out what we're going to do all the time and and fire people up a little bit. I'm going to read you two quotes, uh, one from our pal Klonsky, not Fred, but Mike, who has a new blog, and then one from Neil Steinberg from the, uh, I think the Sun-Times that I saw, Uh, that was in David Orr's uh, upcoming event announcement. Okay, Klonsky says, the only hope now is that a massive wave of street protests will shake up the political landscape to such a degree in the face of the upcoming midterm elections that the totally politicized Trump court will be forced to pull back its planned ruling or risk a Republican defeat in the House and Senate in November. That's one. Steinberg says, there is reason to hope. One rule of totalitarianism is it always overreaches and never stops since the bullying is the point. The eternal junkie scramble to find somebody to be better than. Success banning abortion will only turn the attention of the American Taliban to gay marriage, anti-racism, immigration, the rest of the scary objects crowding their fear closet. They never give up, they have to be defeated. two good quotes, but what are your thoughts
1: um my my first thought is uh you know to the to the first quote um, protests are are great and an important organizing tool, but they are not they are not the end of the process they they are they should be the beginning um and I think too often point, not the process and and so if all you're going to do is go to a couple rallies.
0: Good. I hear you. I'm with you on that one. Um,
1: you know, these are not social events. These are, these are organizing tools. And so, you know, capture the people's data that you can follow up with them, get engaged, keep them involved. And it doesn't have to be electoral. And, and I'm an electoral junkie. So, yes, it, you know, I, that's what I want. I want these folks turned into voters and organizers and activists. But there are other ways to put um, your money where your mouth is. Um, We're going to need clinic escorts again. We're going to need people raising money for abortion access funds. We're going to need people, yes, knocking on doors, collecting petition signatures, um, raising money for candidates, getting people out to vote. We're going to need all of those things. So I, I, I love a good rally. If your process is about that as the end of your work, Try to help me.
0: Okay, uh, you were going to run out of time. You got anything else? But I got one more. I'm going to ask you. And uh, our friend Katie that. Hogan, Katie Hogan said to me, or put in the script, uh, or maybe I put it in. 14 people are likely to die from having a baby 14 times more than having an abortion. Can you tell us a little bit about that scary figure?
1: Absolutely. I mean, it, it, you know, pulling back from that. You know, Illinois or the U.S. has the highest mater- maternal mortality rate among developed nations. Now, that's before this. Um, an abortion is an incredibly safe procedure. Um, it, is, it is. And especially now, again, back to medication induced abortions, um, even more so than ever before. Um, and childbirth is a is a volatile experience for the human body having done it three times. Um, so so you, yeah. more people will die from pregnancy-related harm. Um, no question.
0: Well, Kelly Cassie, you're a wonderful human being and you serve us well here in the mighty 14th. And uh, I look forward to seeing you not too far off. You got any parting words for us? One last little uh, boom for the masses Absolutely. to go forward with?
1: So this is, this is airing on Saturday. So today, Saturday, at 2 o'clock at Jarvis Square, uh, the Democratic Party of the 49th Ward is hosting our annual Meet the Judges event. Um, we will be providing food and beverages with a taste of Jarvis Square, Participate uh, with all the businesses in Jarvis Square participating, a chance to meet some of these candidates running for judge and maybe not put more bad people on the bench. Um, and and meet some of your fellow Democratic activists. So from 2 to 4 at Jarvis Square. I hope to see everybody there.
0: And that would be after the march downtown, which is yep. at noon. And yep. it would be during the prelim for the Kentucky Derby.
1: Exactly. I'll exactly. see you at
0: Jarvis Square on Saturday afternoon.
1: Sounds great. Looking forward to it. I love you, it.
0: Kelly. Thanks a lot.
1: Right back at you, Michael. Take right care.
0: Stay tuned here on the left end of your dial or right here, wherever you're watching this show. We're gonna be right back. We're gonna play a little bit of music from a group called the, I gotta get it straight here, the Third Coast Percussion. Their album is Perspectives and it's from a movement called Derivative and I'll leave the rest of the information about it to our next guest, Philip Montero of The Reader. He is The Reader Music Editor and he's gonna fill us in on what's going on in The Reader and some music. So stay tuned, we'll be right back. Okay, we're back. We're back uh, for a little bit more of Live from the Heartland. Our next guest is uh, Philip Montaro. He is the uh, music editor at The Reader. Uh, he's got long hair. He's got a lot of rings on. And he recommended that last song that we heard. It was Third Coast Percussion, an album I think called Perspectives. Tell us a little bit about the album and why you asked us to play that when we brought you on.
2: Well, uh I've been a fan of Third Coast for quite a while. I'm a drummer myself and um it's they're really humbling. Uh <laughs> as, as a self-taught percussionist watching these these four people who can interact with that level of precision and rigor and have it still be fun. Like the amount of of training, of work that must go- have gone into that. Being you can hear it in everything they do and it's really just I love it. So when I heard that they were working with, uh, Jalen, who's the composer of the piece you heard, uh, Jalen is an experimental footwork producer based in Gary, Indiana. I think until pretty recently she had a day job driving a forklift in a steel mill, but uh, I, I think she may be supporting herself with her music now. And if so, more, more power to her. But, uh, yeah, she operates in a Chicago born style called footwork. Um, and i especially enjoy her music in that genre i think because she's very good at creating a sense of space of like stacking layers that feel like they belong in almost different frames of reference um so that the sonic space of the music just feels really huge and it's 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 fun to watch that stuff be rendered acoustically by by hand Um, because of course it's all programmed. It's electronic music in its original form. So it's just a very interesting collaboration to me. And I've known that it was coming for quite some time. So I'm very excited that this album is finally coming out. Uh, the, the Jalen piece is it, it's very similar to the title of the album It's called perspective rather than perspectives. And it's, uh, seven movements long, about half an hour. And, uh, sort of the centerpiece of the new record There's also music on it by, uh, Philip Glass, uh, Danny Elfman, the um, De- Devontae Hines, who's better known as Blood Orange, and Clarice Assad. Oh, no, no, I'm getting confused.
0: Well, Devonte's you're not the only piece. one.
2: <laughs> well, Devontae's piece and Clarice's piece, they're part of the album release concert that's happening next week at DePaul. Uh, they're not actually on the album. The other piece on the album is by uh, a co-composition with Flutronics, which is a, a duo of flutist composers whose name's escaping. Me.
0: So this is going to be released on May 13th and they're yes. going to perform five of the seven movements at DePaul on Thursday the 12th.
2: Yeah I believe the specific venue is called what's it called Gannon? Gannon Concert Gannon Hall the, at the Holtschneider Performance Center.
0: Yes. Okay well maybe we'll bump into each other there.
2: Yeah um, I'd bike past that Place all the time, but it's been a long while since I've set foot in it. So uh, I'm, I'm just, uh, I've got some high quality masks, and I'm going to leave one on because I know right on, cases, brother cases are climbing fast in Chicago, and I don't want this to be, uh, I want this to be uh, an experience I remember fondly, uh, not as where I finally got COVID. So uh <laughs>
0: <laughs> wear that mask. Um. Anyhow, it was Lynn Orman, our music producer, who who hooked us up, and. Um, Initially, uh, what I wanted to get you to talk about, besides Third Coast, was uh, the reader. Uh, you yes. know, the reader has been around, it seems like most of my lifetime, and I've been around a while. And yes. it's something that people used to, you know, when I owned the Heartland Cafe, they would be deliver stacks of them very high, and people would come. The, people would, some would just come and grab their reader. That's where you had all your music listings, that where you could uh, meet somebody and make dates through, I don't know how you did it back then. And um, just, you know, it also had some really good reporting. Um, Tell us a little bit of what's happened as over time with the reader as it transitioned to a digital age. And now uh, I, I think there's a whole lot going on around it transitioning to a not for profit. It's in Tracy oh, Bame's hand. You're her right-hand person with, uh, with music. Give us a story.
2: Oh, start. no. I, you can't say I'm Tracy's right hand. That's Karen Hawkins. That's our editor I'm and pub- publisher. And as, as a leadership team, they've, they've been great. Um, I, I know that um, it's been, if Chicagoans have been paying attention to the read over the past decade, it, it was easy to write us off. There was a lot of absentee or poor management, uh, especially like after Mara Shahoop left. Like she was a very effective editor-in-chief but had no publisher, had no resources, you know? And since then, God, when, when's the last time we've had a publisher? I think it might've been 2012, um, or if not before that. And uh, so, so the fact that Tracy Bame has rebuilt the business side that we're able to make money, that there's at least a path forward, not just a cliff. Uh, it feels great to me as someone who's been at the reader for 25 years. I remember those big four section papers, those, those like phone book re- size readers. A lot um, of recycling. Yeah, that was when I was hired. So it's unfortunately been, it's been a little discouraging <laughs> sometimes to, to watch the paper getting smaller and smaller. Because yeah, all those, all those listings we had in print, um the advertising base that we had, especially classifieds, the shift to a digital ecosystem just cut our legs out from under us. You know, the classified stuff, especially Craigslist just nuked that practically overnight. Um so we've had a, a long struggle to find other ways to make money. And, and we've seen so many other publications who haven't pulled it out of the fire. You know, it's definitely a very hostile environment economically to try to run a publication, especially a free one. Um, So the fact that we made it through that period where we, we were basically an appendage of the Sun-Times for several years owned by the same company called Rapports. And the Sun-Times. They're pretty thin
0: these days too.
2: Well, the Sun-Times was having its own crisis and couldn't pay, like the, folks running that show couldn't pay a ton of attention to the reader. We were kind of just withering on the vine. Uh, and that's, that's where we were when Glenn Goodman and LT Higginbottom bought us for a nominal sum. I think it was a dollar.
0: So um, that's the shift when things started to get better.
2: Yeah. They brought in Tracy Bame. That's when, that's when our current editor in chief, Karen Hawkins, uh, started with the paper as well. Although I, I don't believe that was her title at that point. Uh, i elizabeth Moore was editor-in-chief initially but um yeah it's been wonderful to see the reader rebuild to see our staff grow like because i can say with some confidence that our staff has done nothing but shrink since at the very least 2007 um so it's been it's been a long time coming and i'm very so happy the, to-
0: the shift comes you get new owners and you get a new editor or not an ed- you have a new an editor, but you also have Tracy coming on.
2: Yeah, she's a powerhouse. She's made a lot of wonderful. Yeah, she's that. something else. Yeah. So the the crisis that was going on recently concerned our transition to nonprofit status, and thankfully that seems to have been resolved in our favor. Um, I was involved. Now I saw they-
0: something in the news where it's the guy said that he would okay, it could be a not for profit
2: yeah yeah it was, no it, was, it was it was one of the co-owners len goodman he had a column in the paper and the last installment of that column which ran in november had uh some content about vaccinating kids against covid and well we commissioned a fact check after publication because staff raised some concerns about the content of the column which which it went it went to print I think a little too quickly, you know, it would have been better if we'd been able to sit on it. If we'd made a different call as far as like when to publish this, because obviously COVID vaccination, that's a subject where the information ecosystem is really poisoned. There's a lot of bad faith actors in that information ecosystem. There's a lot of otherwise reputable looking studies that really They've been wholly co opted and misinterpreted. So it can be very difficult to wade through that information when you've only got a few hours to deal with it. Yeah. So I think it's fair to say that publishing the column was an error. But what we attempted to do was own that error, to take accountability for it, and to say, we're sorry, folks. We ran a fact check. Here's what's wrong. We're going to set the record straight. But Goodman didn't want that to happen. He resisted every option we presented to him. Um, And ultimately, he and his allies on the board of the for-profit reader started introducing resolutions to delay the sale to the nonprofit. And that's when we ended up with this protracted fight. Um, It was honestly really grueling it was really painful and difficult for everyone on the Riker staff, both, both the union members and the staff outside the union and management, everybody. It was, <laughs> oh, it's painful to even think about, but uh, I, I had the great pleasure to be involved in the union campaign that sort of know. sort of delivered the killing blow, if you will, to to that recalcitrance, like that's what pushed him off the fence. And it's like, okay, We can't continue this fight without destroying the reader. I'll step down. That was enormously satisfying. But I do want to recognize that we were put in a position where we could win that victory because our management was fighting, too. Tracy and Karen were fighting, too. It was more behind the scenes. They didn't march around with signs. You know, they didn't get Scabby the Rat out there, but they were fighting, too. And that's something. Scabby the Rat. (laughs) Yeah. It was it's. I'm, I'm proud of that because it's it's a rare instance in journalism these days where management and, and a union are on the same side of a battle. And I think I think we did a really great job. I, so I'm,
0: I'm, going forward, the reader is now not for profit. It's well, the, making- the
2: deal the deal isn't closed. You know, okay. whenever there's a bunch of lawyers involved, things take forever. So even though Len and his allies on the board did agree to step down, I think, gosh, it's like a week and a half ago now. Um, there's still papers to be signed. There's still, we're we're expecting within, within maybe 10 to 14 days, it'll all be wrapped up and resolved. Um, But then of course the real work begins because the reader had financial reserves because we were anticipating this transition being really difficult for us. We're going to nonprofit status and that's hard. We got no safety net anymore. We'll be cut off from the owners who were underwriting the reader through the pandemic, right? No safety net anymore. And we spent those four or five months that Len was delaying burning through all our reserves <laughs> because we were stuck in that for-profit model that wasn't viable. So we're not in the position we want to be starting this journey, but it, it, at least we're still on the road, you know?
0: Well, this is good. And, uh, I'm going to make sure that I take a walk over Morse Avenue grocery, Morse market and get my reader on a regular basis. I used to, uh, you know, I used to own the heartland and, uh, the reader was everywhere. It was all over. I'd be picking up off the tables and stuff, but I've had, uh, readers been good to me and to the heartland and to a lot of other people throughout its history. And, uh, we're really glad we're, we look like we're going forward in a good way. Yeah. Um, we are talking with Philip Montoro, who is the music editor at The Reader. And I wanted to get you, before we run out of time, but hopefully we can have you on more often, um, talk a little bit about the music scene in Chicago. <laughs> when I, uh, w- yesterday, uh, when I was, uh, I ran into my son, Kadian, who was in Twin Peaks. Uh, and I said, Give me some information about what's going on in the music scene. And uh, what he came up with was, uh, you know, we've had this kind of pandemic shutdown, musicians supported each other, and you have all this kind of corporate top-down uh, buying up of venues. We have Audio Tree buying Shubas in Lincoln Hall. There's some going on at the old Morton Salt plant. There's going to be a development there with music plans. It'll probably affect our friends at the hideout. Uh, Not to mention Lincoln Yards, Live Nation. What's going on out there with uh, venues and places that people want to go to and hear live music? Well, concerning the venue
2: question, I I know that people are concerned about what's going to happen with Lincoln Yards, largely because it's so close to the high down, for instance, um, that changes to just changes to property values spurred by taxpayer underwritten development of that size could be, could be fatal for a tiny club like that. And yeah, nobody wants that to happen. Nobody sane anyway, as far as the salt shed, the Morton salt place, uh, I think that's under the same umbrella as empty bottle, Talia hall, um, the 16 on center. I can never, there's another organization with a very similar name, so I always get it wrong. Um, but that's such a large space that honestly don't feel that it'd be competing directly with the hideout for audience. Like it's such a different experience being at a tiny cozy little club, like the hideout. I think they, they can coexist. Um, What I wanted to point out was that we lost very few clubs during the shutdown. Now we're not out of the woods. We may be having a fifth wave by the end of the month, but that's really good news. And I just want to pause to reflect on that, you know, like most of the clubs we had coming into the shutdown are coming out of it. And they they may be a little chastened, <laughs> they may be uh, tightening their belts, but they still exist. And that's a much better outcome than, than we were looking forward to in the depths of the pandemic. Um, it seems almost miraculous to me su- such that I suspect my own judgment. Maybe there's something I don't know. And and they're going to start dropping like dominoes any day now. But I I hope not. (laughs) There's there's also uh, of course DIY spaces, which as somebody who just turned fifty, I don't know as much about as I used to. But uh, I know there's still a few. I still hear
0: about this stuff. DIY, you're talking about like you know how they were really important. I know for a while there's a lot of stuff happening backyards, basements, garages.
2: And that, conti- that continues to be true and will continue to be true. Um, it's just something that at The Reader, we cover very sparingly. Like mostly we cover DIY spaces when we want to honor them when they shut down. Right. Because that way we're not going to get anybody busted. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we're not going to inadvertently call <laughs> the wrong kind of attention to a space, you know. Um, so it, we have to be a little delicate because of the size of our audience.
0: Um, well, Philip, it's really great meeting you on, on, uh, you know, through a zoom. And I, I hope you'll come back on, uh, we we do, uh, have a limited amount of time and we're going to run out. Do you have any choice words around music or anything else that you want to share as we go out of this segment?
2: Well, uh, I'll say that I've really been enjoying, um, Certain aspects of the shift to sort of a digital music economy, most notably that through Bandcamp, I've gotten to, to be a big fan of a group of labels operating out of Kampala, Uganda. If you, if you were to have told me 15 years ago, Philip, some of your favorite music you'll learn about from an indie label in Kampala, Uganda, I, I don't know if I would have even understood what you were telling me. Yeah, I'm uh, learning. They're called Nyege Nyege Tapes. It's how I learned about it.
0: Can you spell that for us?
2: N-Y-E-G-E, N-Y-E-G-E, two words, Nyege Nyege Tapes. And they're they're a great label. It's how I learned about Neoloxica, which is it's four traditional hand drummers from Uganda and then two British guys playing like trap set and synth. So it's like almost like acoustic techno that draws on the roots of the... Percussion of the Buganda people. Uh it's fascinating. And yeah, it's how I learned about this Indonesian duo, uh Raja Kirik, because Niage Nyege re-released their second record. Uh wrote about that for the reader. It's uh this I, I feel like because I like profoundly weird stuff that I have to broaden my search when I That's a up.
0: good thing. So you uh, oh. people can read your articles if they go to the reader, type in your name. I saw there's a yeah. lot to read, a lot to learn about you. You've got a lot. I don't, of I don't have a ton of bylines. I'm
2: mostly an editor. Um, that is, I mostly help other people's stories be the, the best they Readable. can. Right? Um, the, the bulk of our bylines these days are by staff writer, Lior Galio, who is wonderful. And, and every once in
0: a while, you got James Porter in there. Every Man, once in he, a while, I know he works for you, all, right? Yeah, he works with us. Yeah. Okay, we're out of yeah, time. He, James is James is working on a piece for me right now. Right
2: on, brother. Black Black country artists in Chicago.
0: So. Uh, he's like black country artist, black rock and roll artist. He's, he's the guy I saw him play the other night. We could talk for a long time, but we're going to have yeah. to do it another time.
2: Yeah, yeah. I I do recommend you reach out to Lior, though. He knows about parts of the Chicago music scene in a level of detail it just. It'll make your ass hurt is so much information. we we'll um, doing. it. He's, he's wonderful. Uh, I, I don't even know where he finds the energy, but yeah, his, his knowledge base and mine uh, I would have to say they're complimentary. We, we don't know a lot of the same things, but wow. What he knows, he really knows. So <laughs> Thank you,
0: brother. All right. Thank you for having me. Yeah. We'll see you again. You're good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We'll be, uh, we'll be right back. We're going to take a short musical break and uh, then we'll come back and wrap it all up. You're listening to Live from the Heartland on 88.7 or www.org or youtube.com slash heartland media, can TV, et cetera, et cetera.
1: like everything was-
0: well, we want to thank everybody for tuning in to this week's Live from the Heartland. And uh, however you listen to it or watch it, uh, we're glad that you do. Uh, please send us any ideas or commentary, thoughts you'd like. Uh, the best email would be my own, fatback, F-A-T-B-A-C-K, at AOL.com. Old school. I want to make an announcement about Good Government Illinois Spring Benefit, uh, our pal David Orr former Cook County clerk. He's uh, real active around elections and democracy. He says, please join us for a benefit in support of Good Government Illinois. Thursday, May 19th, 5 to 7.30 at Bounce Chicago, 324 West Chicago Avenue. About Good Government Illinois, from their statement, government can be a force for good when our leaders at all levels of government practice the progressive values of accountability, ethics and transparency. Good Government Illinois advocates for these values by pulling back the curtain and making government more accessible while holding elected officials accountable. Okay, so that's uh, what's going on with them. Uh, I'm really sorry to say that I have some people who have passed some announcements to make about that. Susan Nussbaum, the playwright, the novelist and longtime disability activist, has passed. She was pioneering in combining uh, theater and disability for herself and others, giving them room in the acting game. And longtime activist uh, who had spent some time in prison and uh, did a lot of good work there. And then when she came out, did even more good work. Kathy Boudin has passed. Uh, condolences to uh, all of her family. Uh, Kathy did real good in the world um and uh we're really sorry to learn about her passing. And I want to give a shout out to my uh, childhood pal Mark Smith, uh the doctor who will be coming on to talk about now that he's a writer. Um he's had two of his siblings, his sister Pam and his brother Cal pass. Cal just passed this week and uh I know what it's like losing a brother. I haven't lost a sister. Thank great spirit. Um Not sure next week, but we have a lot of people in the hopper waiting to come on live from the Heartland. We're going to put that together. We want to say that for 25 years, we've been putting this show together, first at the Heartland Cafe, then in the Heartland Building, then downtown, now from our homes. It's broadcast every Saturday morning. Uh, You can get it on Spotify and Google Podcasts, and you can watch it anytime at youtube.com slash heartlandmedia slash videos. So I want to thank uh, not only Emilio Davis, Katie Hogan, Tom Clark, Lynn Orman, Gwen Brown and Luis Mejia, all the people who at various times make this show possible. Uh, Do good in the world. The world needs all the good that you and that I and that we do. All power to the people. Have a great week and we'll see you next week. Socialism is love between man and man. Socialism is love for your brother. Socialism is linking
2: hearts and Would you?